Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Everybody, welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 17. We're looking at Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 10 under the the premise, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Got three great short principles for you this week as we look at these particular chapters. In fact, several of them have to do with asking questions. Um, Have you ever asked a question and gotten a surprising answer? That happened all the time with people that asked the Savior questions, as you could only imagine. And I want to give you just a little context to these chapters to start out with today, and uh, which is this, that when you ask the Lord a question, you might receive an answer that you did not expect, such as, who is my neighbor? Anyone that needs your help and love. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A child. Is it enough to forgive an offender seven times? No. You should forgive 70 times 7. Unexpected answers from the Lord can invite us to change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and act. And if you're seeking the Lord's will because you really want to learn from Him, the Lord will teach you how to live in a way that leads to eternal life with Him. And sometimes it will be in a way that goes against our very nature. But that's only because the Lord is interested in changing our nature. The first principle I'd like to take a look at this week comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, and again involves a question, a question that Peter asks of Christ. In verse 21, it reads, Then came Peter to him, Christ, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. He goes on afterwards to reaccount the parable of the unmerciful servant as if an opportunity to teach Peter why it is so important to forgive. In the parable of the unmerciful servant, uh, it's told that there is a king that extends forgiveness to his servant who had an insurmountable debt to the king, only to then have the servant fail to forgive one of his servants of the smallest of debts. Not only does he not forgive him, but he has him thrown into prison. Well, when the king hears of this, he calls this servant in to see him, this unmerciful servant whom he had forgiven so much of, and asks him why, when he was forgiven of so much, he would fail to forgive someone else of so much less. And because he failed to show mercy after being shown so much mercy, the king no longer forgave his debt and has him thrown into prison. Christ's message for you and I is that if we want to be forgiven, we must forgive. I don't know of any better reason to forgive than maybe that one. I don't know about you, but I've accumulated quite a bit of debt in my life that I would like to be forgiven of. And if that means forgiving others of those things that have been done unto me, I want to do it. The Lord taught it's the merciful that obtain mercy. And I want to share this principle with you guys, especially those of you that are young, because chances are there is someone that needs your forgiveness or that uh, is there most likely will be before the end of the day. And the more that we learn to give it, the more we will receive it ourselves. 
But I also recognize there's a balance between giving forgiveness and accepting what others might do to us. Elder David E. Sorensen gave this important caution when he said, Although we must forgive a neighbor who injures us, we should still work constructively to prevent that injury from being repeated. Forgiveness does not require us to accept or tolerate evil. But as we fight against sin, we must not allow hatred or anger to control our thoughts or actions. But in the end, it's up to us for, to forgive, no matter how long it takes or how much we need the Savior's help to do it. Forgiveness is a choice, and it's always been more about us than it is about others. President Uchtdorf once taught that we must let go of our grievances. Part of the purpose of mortality is to learn how to let go of such things. That's the Lord's way. Remember, heaven is filled with those that have this in common. They are forgiven, and they forgive. The Lord really shows us the way, offering forgiveness of all sin, of all offenses, of all hurt, and of all pain, even while on the cross, asking for His Father to forgive those that were hurting Him in the worst way possible, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Someone once said that you'll never learn how strong your heart is until you learn to forgive the one who broke it. So young people, the the questions I'd like for you to consider with this particular principle is who is there in your life that Heavenly Father would like for you to forgive? Can you forgive friends? Can you forgive your parents? Can you forgive strangers for the things that they might say or do? And how can you develop a more forgiving heart? What is there in your life that you would like to be forgiven of? And how can you keep this in mind when others do things or say things that requires you to forgive them? One of the best abilities that you could develop while you're young that will sustain you throughout your life is the ability to forgive. Now for principle number two, I want to go back just a few verses in chapter 18 and look at verses 11 through 14. 11 reads, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray? Doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and go with into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if it so be that he findeth it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of, of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And I just, I wanted to share those scriptures with you, that, that principle with you for so many reasons. I just love these verses, especially that phrase, I'd encourage you to mark it, the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. These verses can be a reminder to all of us that He has come here to save all of us, especially those that have lost their way, which ironically is all of us. As Paul taught, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have lost and wandered and have gone astray and are in need of the Good Shepherd to bring us home. I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes of all time about failure which from all places came from the movie Kung Fu Panda 3. If you've ever seen that, young people, you, you'll, you'll recognize this line. Poe, in this particular scene, the dragon warrior, had just failed epically at trying to teach a class. And when he expressed his frustration to his master that he just couldn't do what was being asked of him, his master replied, oh, I know you couldn't. And you could just see Poe's mind just is blown. He says, wait, what? You mean you set me up to fail? To which his master replied, Poe, and and here's the lesson. 
If you only do the things that you can do, you'll never be anything more than you are right now. When I heard that phrase, my mind was blown. Again, when you, if you only do the things that you can do, you'll never be anything more than you are right now. Please understand, young people, that the rise in perfectionism that is currently going on in the world will continually lower your sense of self-worth. Please be more accepting of yourself and your mistakes. You were not sent here to do the things that you could do, but to learn to do the things that you couldn't do. And guess what? That requires failure. God knew that you would fall short and fail, and that's okay. That was a part of his plan. That's why he provided a savior for us and for you. So again, please, please, please don't give up on yourself because God will never give up on you. One of my favorite phrases in scripture is when the Lord of the vineyard in Jacob 5, who representing the Lord, asks over and over, what more could I have done for my vineyard? What more could I have done for my trees? There is no distance that he won't go, no effort he won't give, no amount of love he won't offer to help bring you safely back home, no matter what you've done or how far away you are from him. In fact, Elder Bednar recently reminded all of us in a youth devotional that this is not a gospel of second chances. It's a gospel of third chances and fourth chances. In fact, it's a gospel of unlimited chances. And boy, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. And I need to hear that often, which is why I want to share this principle today. I know that you need to hear it, and you need to hear it often as well. President Uchtdorf taught that, he said, I testify that God sees us as we truly are, and he sees us worthy of rescue. You may feel that your life is in ruins. You may have sinned. You may be afraid, angry, grieving, or tortured by doubt. But just as the good shepherd finds his lost sheep, if you will only lift up your heart to the Savior of the world, he will find you. He will rescue you. He will lift you up and place you on your shoulders. He will carry you home. If mortal hands can transform rubble and ruins into a beautiful house of worship, then we can have confidence and trust that our loving Heavenly Father can and will rebuild us. His plan is to build us into something far greater than what we were, far greater than what we can ever imagine. With each step of faith on the path of discipleship, we grow into the beings of eternal glory and infinite joy that we were designed to become. So I want you to consider, young people, what can you do to give both yourself and others more patience and grace to make mistakes and to fall short? If you have made choices that have taken you away from the Lord, what can you do to get closer to Him? How can you better apply the wonderful gift of repentance in your own life? Remember, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He will seek you out and He will find you no matter what you've done or how far you've gone. And remember that failure is a part of life. It's a part of God's plan that if you only do the things that you can do, you'll never be anything more than you are right now. And God has in mind for you to be so much more than you are right now. I think it was Elder Wilcox that once said, God certainly loves us exactly as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us that way. Now, principle three comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We'll take a look at the first part of these verses where a certain lawyer comes up to him in verse 25 and says, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? To which, in verse 26, the Savior says, He said unto him, What is written in the law? 
how readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But then he willingly, to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Well, to answer that question, both profoundly and powerfully, he then recounts the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he tells about a certain man while he was traveling to Jerusalem, fell among thieves, and was stripped of everything that he had, and basically left for dead. And both a priest and a Levite, when they saw him, just passed by him, as if they didn't notice him. It wasn't until a certain Samaritan saw him that he had compassion on him, took him, bound up his wounds, dropped him off at an inn to be taken care of. And after recounting that story in verse 37 about, again, answering the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the question in verse uh, 36, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. And I love this story and and this principle really because the path to eternal life is really a pretty direct path. And it begins with loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And then to love thy neighbor as thyself. And in fact, I believe that he is teaching us at the same time through all this, how each relates to one another. That the more you love God, the more you love him, the more you will love others and the more you will love yourself. The key is to love God first. President Benson taught that when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. And young people, if I can give you one quote to let guide your life, it would be that one quote. That has been the quote that I have tried to use to, uh, to guide my life more than anything else. And that is, again, when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. He also went on to say that our love for the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. Basically, God knew what he was doing when he put the first commandment first because he knew that everything else would fall into place, especially with the other commandments, if we just first at the very beginning developed a relationship and a love for God. And you can see this in the story of the Good Samaritan. Those that passed by the man that fell among thieves were those that professed to love God, but yet clearly didn't because our love for God is and will always be best seen in the way that we love others because there is a symbiotic relationship between all of those things. It's in loving him that we develop charity, which is the pure love of Christ for others. So I want you to think this week about this relationship between loving God and loving others and loving ourselves as you go about this week, especially when you walk down the halls of your schools or when you go to work or anywhere else you might be. How many people might we be passing by that are in need of our help and support and our care? Because God can give us the eyes to see the needs of others when we develop a heart that loves him. In fact, that is a natural result of developing a relationship and a heart that loves God. Joseph Smith taught it this way when he said, The nearer we get to our Heavenly Father, the more we are disposed to look with compassion on perishing souls. 
We feel that we want to take them upon our shoulders and cast their sins behind our backs. I can always tell where somebody's relationship is with God in the way that they treat other people. But this relationship doesn't just happen. Like any relationship for it to grow, it needs to be given time and attention. At the end of this chapter, in fact, the Lord reminds us of how to best do that, that there are some things in life that are good to do, some things that are better to do, and others that are best. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, to conclude the chapter, and I think this particular line of of teaching, the Savior gently invites Martha to think differently about the way that she was spending her time. Martha had gotten caught up in a little bit of uh, the to-do list uh, about hosting a group of people in her home, taking care of the food and and the the, the prep and, and making sure she was a good host, which is a good thing to do. And she expressed, though, a little frustration with her sister Mary, who had not been helping her because she was sitting at the feet of the Savior, listening to him as he was teaching, to which the Savior's response to Martha was, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, which is good. But he then said, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. After quoting those particular verses, Sister Carol F. McConkie taught that if we would be holy, we must learn to sit at the feet of the Holy One of Israel and give time to holiness. Do we set aside the phone, the never-ending to-do list, the cares of worldliness? Prayer, study, and heeding the Word of God invite His cleansing and healing love into our souls. Let us take time to be holy, that we may be filled with His sacred and sanctifying Spirit. I think it's of great worth, young people, even at a young age, to ask the question, how are we spending our time? How are you spending your time? And are you making sure that you're getting in those things which are most needful? It doesn't mean that you have to be reading your scriptures every hour of every day, right? But it does mean that you are making time to make sure you do read your scriptures for some of the time. It's not that playing video games is necessarily bad, but if they're keeping you from really connecting with your family, getting homework done, uh, connecting with the Lord, connecting with friends, they certainly are not going to be the best thing. Learning to tell the difference between what is good and what is needful is an art that is needed more in the world today than ever before because there's so much that is out there now that can fill up our time, fill up our day, that if we're not careful, we even lose track of how we've spent it. Remember, those things that are most needful for us is to love God and to love our neighbor. And ironically, as we do those two things, I'm confident that we will learn to love ourselves even more. And it's those kinds of things, that kind of love that no one can take from us because, well, it's become a part of us. So there you go, young people. Three principles, three things to consider this week in your study of Come Follow Me. I hope they've been helpful. And as always, remember, that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ always has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and he invites all to come follow me. So, as always, let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.